2 Samuel 24. Hey, hold a finger there and turn to uh, Psalm chapter 20. So, hey, I want to just start um, tonight in 2 Samuel. We're going to finish 2 Samuel tonight, no matter what. I don't care how high the creek rises, we are going to finish tonight. Um, um, King David is, is recorded here in the end of his life, one last major sin. Now, David's life, King David's life is marked with, um, unfortunately, several um, major sins and major, major disappointments in the life of King David. And we've, we've got through them all except for this last one. The, big, the, the other big one that we think about is his sin with Bathsheba, adultery and murder. Um, his sin with his sons, he just wasn't um, a, a very present or, or good father, and he had lots of problems with his children. And then now the last one we're going to catch tonight. Now, in, in context of, of seeing what happens to David, I'm just going to give you the spoiler alerts, and then we'll go through it. The, the sin is the sin of pride. And what's going to happen is that David's heart is going to be filled with pride, and he's going to order a census of the people. And God said that the kings weren't allowed to do that. Now, a census in itself is very tricky within, within God's, God's community in the, in the nation of Israel. To this day, in Israel, because of this, this chapter in the Bible and because God got upset about David counting the people, um, Jews, uh, um, um, the, the, the right word is, uh, um, um, what's that word when, you like, when you're a baseball player and you never step on the home plate because, or you never step on the Superstitious. That the Jews are very superstitious about these kind of things because it's not really spiritual. It's superstitious, um, and they won't count people. So in the schoolyard, you know, if their kids are playing a game and they need to count the kids, they say, you're not one, you're not two, you're not three, you're not four, and they don't count the people. But if we're being honest to the text, Moses actually did a census in the Old Testament that God didn't have any problem with. So I'm not really sure. I know where the Jews get it from, but I don't know how they reconcile the two that God um, doesn't necessarily like us counting the people. The, the sin of David in this chapter of counting the people wasn't the act of counting the people. The sin was the pride in David's heart. But, but what's, what's interesting is that, is that David had a right heart. David knew um, this, this concept that he wrote for us in, in Psalm 20. So let's look at it, and then we'll put it in context with where we are um, in 24, where David counts the people, and it's a grave sin. So in chapter 20, I'm going to read the whole thing, you guys, or at least um, starting in the beginning until the verse. I'm trying to get to verse 7. May the Lord answer you in, in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Praise the Lord. You guys ever take this stuff and just really meditate on it? Really put that in you. Listen, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Amen? Amen. I could preach this stuff. This stuff would preach, right? Like, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. If you put a little power behind that, you put a little, a little conviction, you put a little um, um, a blessing of the Holy Spirit over your life and you receive that and you're going through a time and, and David says, may the Lord answer you in the time of trouble. May the God of heaven come to you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purposes. 
We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill your petition. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from holy heaven with the sayings, saving strength of his right hand. Now here's the verse that I brought you to. Um, verse 7, chapter 20. I want you there with me. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Amen. So David wrote that, right? Psalm 20, the chief musician, a Psalm of David. So David says in Psalms 20 that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will, we will trust the name of our God. Now, David's about to commit a sin, and his sin ultimately is the sin of pride because David wanted to know how many fighting men he had. His sin, again, not counting the people that, that the Jews today superstitiously avoid because of the result. But his sin was that he, he wanted to put his trust in the fighting men that he had. David, in, in his reign, had been a very, very successful king. He, he had never lost a battle in his life. He, he conquered, and, and, and maybe, never, maybe I should say he never lost a war. Maybe some battles within the wars, but David never lost a war in his life. And David was very successful and was very fruitful. And David got to a point early in his life at the time of the sin of Bathsheba where he didn't even have to go out and fight with his men anymore. And so David, at the end of his life, God stirs his heart, the Bible says, to count the people. And we'll unpack that tonight as well and what that means and how that is. And David, and I want to tell you just two, and we'll get into it and read it, but... Um, Within this context, I want you to understand what's going to happen is God's going to kill 70,000 people in Israel. 70,000 people as a result of David's sin. That's an astronomical number. Now, we, you know, to this day, I, I don't know what the population of Israel is, I forget, but it's somewhere around 18, 18 million, 14 million, 15 million, somewhere in there. And um, in all of the Afghanistan and Iraq war combined, the United States we lost about 5,000 American soldiers. And, and we're a country of 335 million people. And the impact of 5,000 on a country of 335 million. And in David's day, the, the number of, of Jews, I'm sure, didn't match what it is today. And to lose 70,000 men, you know, in a much smaller country in, in, in one setting is astronomical. And, and so... It's, it's a huge deal, but it wasn't completely. And I think what's going on is, is yes, David was the king and was at the helm, but there, there was some national sin that was going on. And, in, and in, in Exodus, if you guys remember, when we went through Exodus, God was telling the people, if, if, if you follow me, then this will happen. And if you rebel against me, then this will happen. And we call this the if chapter, if section. And, and, and God goes painstakingly for chapters and he says, if you do this and this and this, then I will bless you. But if you rebel and do this and this and this, then this will happen and this will happen. And if 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 and if. And so um, the thing that, that, that God gives David as a result of, of, of this sin was the exact thing in Exodus he said he would do to a nation that rebelled against him. And so what was the nation's rebellion? You know, the Bible doesn't say. Were they not observing Sabbaths? We know later in Israel's history, God judged them because they went 490 years and they never took a sabbatical rest on the seventh year. They didn't let the land rest on the seventh year. 
and God continued to give him a bumper crop every sixth year because in the seventh year it was supposed to rest. But instead of letting the land rest on the seventh year, they, they, they continued to grow and, and got a little greedy. And God forgave them 70 times, 490 years, 490 times per year, 70, 70 Shemitahs. And then, and then they were carried into Babylonian captivity. Um, the other, the other thing we see in Israel's history is the, is the, um, the, the, that they, they were called and they were required as Jews to circumcise the male children, and and it's, it would seem that there was um, through Israel's history some disobedience in this area in times when, when they were they were nationally and, and individually disobedient in the area of, of of circumcising the boys, and so maybe there was something of, of that nature going on in the nation of Israel. But regardless, I think that um, God is dealing with David individually, but I, I personally don't see that, that David was personally responsible for the, the, the death of 70,000 people, that, that nationally there was also something going on that God was dealing with in the nation of Israel when, when 70,000 people die in this chapter. So, all right, so now I told you the whole chapter. I don't know what I'm going to teach because I already told you every, everything that happens. But let's look at it. Chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go and number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, commander of the army, who was with him. Now, now verse 1, does that trouble anybody? Some of you laughed. What's, what's troubling about it? How many of you guys come to church on Sunday? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Why did I ask that? How many of you guys come to church on Sunday? What did, what did we study on Sunday? In James, it says in verse 14 of chapter 1, or verse 13, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's, he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And this verse says that God moved against the anger of the Lord, was aroused against Israel. Now, now again, in verse 24, who was the anger of the Lord aroused against? Israel, not necessarily just King David. And then it says, and the Lord moved against them and say, go number Israel and Judah. So, um, again, scripturally and biblically, God, God cannot, nor does God tempt anyone towards evil. So, um, but what, what this is saying and what this is not saying, it, it, it's the same thing. And we, we get it illustrated for us. Actually, we get to go to heaven, watch it, watch it take place in Job chapter one. In Job chapter one, Satan shows up. Now, we, we could split hairs on what God does and what God doesn't do, right? Because ultimately you can say, you know, I could say to you, well, you know, I have this calamity, this disaster, this, this natural disaster, this calamity or this natural disaster, a struggle in my own life. And I can say to you, God didn't do that to you. But you can, you can always come back and say what? But God allowed it. But he, well, he may not have done it, but God allowed it. So how, so how is that not the same thing as God doing it? Well, it's not the same thing, you know, and, and, and God does not tempt anyone to evil, nor is this saying that, that God came and whispered into David's ear to commit a sin 
that was going to result in the death of 70,000. And, and thankfully, again, you know, when, when we come to places like this, it's nice when we have other places in the Bible. And First uh, and Second Chronicles retells the story in parts of all it chronicles, the, the history of Israel through the kings. And we get these stories repeated in Chronicles. And there's some clarity also brought in Chronicles. But God, what, what God does do is God allows. Satan showed up in chapter 1. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. And Satan said, no, he only serves you because look what, look what all you've blessed him with. But let, let, me, let me take away what he has and he'll curse you in your face. And God allowed Satan to, 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 to test or challenge or to tempt Job. And then Satan went down and killed Job's children, his animals, destroyed all of his property. There's only one person he left alive. Job's wife, and I think because there was more temptation and evil left for his wife that would plague him than if he killed her. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She did, she did try to get Job to curse God and die. But I do have empathy for, for Job's wife as well. I mean, uh, goodness gracious, the woman lost ten kids in one day. How would any of us react, right? Um, but so, so here, Satan is allowed to tempt David. Now, again, David still has free choice. He still has free will. David could still, um, when he felt this desire and this temptation and this pride fill his heart, he didn't have to act on it. And he was never forced. He had free will. And any time in your life, you know, oftentimes God wants to prove to you that you that you could handle it or that you're good. Or God wants to prove to you that, you know, because the, the trial is, the success in a trial gives you victory and gives you triumph and it proves to yourself and, 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 and to your situation that you can overcome. And when you fail, God will happen again until you pass. You know, it's not, you, you just have to redo it in God's, in, God's, in God's economy. When you fail a test, it's not like you don't promote to the next grade. You just have to stay there until you pass it and then you, you go on to the next one. But God allows those. And, we, and James told us that God allows certain temptations and trials in your life. Um, to, to build patience and character in your life, right? And what does patience do? What is, what is the fruit of patience in the life of the believer? We talked about it on Sunday. Patience says, when, you, when you're a person of patience, and James said, let patience have its good work in you, when we as Christians demonstrate patience, we're saying, it screams, I trust God. I trust God. That's what patience does. That's what James is talking about. And when you go through trials patiently, and, 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 and what James says is that, that those trials produce a perfect work in your life, which means there's, there's no better, there's no other way for God to teach you the lesson because this particular style of God's teaching is perfect. And it's through trials. And it's through tribulations. And it's through allowing you to go through some things. And so here, um, uh, David is tempted, and he tells Joab, commander of the army who was with him, go now, now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. Dan to Beersheba, what does that mean? Huh? Dan to Beersheba is a saying in Israel. It's like we say, what do we say in the United States? We say San Francisco to New York, here to Timbuktu, fair to Midland, um, uh, coast to coast, maybe a term that we use. Um, east to west, whatever, coast to coast. So in Israel, it actually goes from the north to the south, Dan in the north, Beersheba in the south. And this was the saying, um, from Dan to Beersheba. I can remember telling an, uh, my guide, an Israeli guide a couple years ago, from Dan to Beersheba, and he said, no, 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 we don't say that anymore. And it's true. 
because there's some there's a new um, um, development in southern Israel that's south of Beersheba now, and it's called Elat. So now the saying the, the saying today in Israel is from Dan to Elat. And so, and if you look on a map now, it used to, you know, if you go in the back of your Bible and you look at a map, you'll see the farthest city you can see in the north is Dan. The farthest thing you see in the south is um, Beersheba. But today you look at it and the farthest thing you see in the north is Dan. And the, and the farthest thing you'll see in the south is, is now Elat, a new development there in Israel, from Dan to Elat. <clears throat> and Joab said to the king, verse 3, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does the lord my king desire this thing? What is Joab sensing? He's trying to talk David out of it. He realizes, he senses the, the danger and the trouble, and he knows what David's doing. He knows, and he says, he says may God give you hundreds of more men, but why, why do you do this thing? Why do you count them? There was three things that God forbid the kings of Israel to do. You guys remember what they are? They were not allowed to multiply horses, wives, or gold unto themselves. Most of the kings broke these rules. Um, David, not, not so much the horses and the gold, but he multiplied wives unto himself. Solomon did all three. Solomon built the world's largest horse stables. He brought horses from Arabia and all over the world. He had so much gold and silver that he, he, couldn't, he stopped counting it. And he had, a, he had 300 wives and 700 concubines, or vice versa. Was it 700 wives and 300? Yeah, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so he did all three, but again, it's the same idea. It's the issue of pride, and God is dealing with pride. And, and the same would be true, right, of our money, of our finances. You know, and I don't think, again, I think that we can make a pretty um, solid case biblically that God used many people, and God blessed many people biblically that, that, were, that were very financially well off. Abraham was very financially well off. Job was financially well off. Jesus had lots of rich friends in the New Testament. Joseph of Arimathea was a very wealthy guy that gave Jesus his tomb. The guy that owned the upper room. Jesus had lots of wealthy friends and disciples. And, and Jesus, you know, the Bible says that it's not money that, that, is, that is the evil. It's the love of money. And, and what happens is if you have a lot of money, the danger is that you'll begin to trust in that money. That you, you don't necessarily have to pray about where your next meal, where your next provision is coming from, because you, you, you know that you, you can afford it. And that's the danger of, of, of money. That's the danger of, of finances. When God blesses us, sometimes, and, and God does, and I watch a lot of people, and I watch, you know, growing up in church, I watch a lot of people who give their life to Jesus, their businesses to Jesus, and, and God really will and did bless them. And the, the blessing became sometimes a distraction and, and a temptation when they began to do well, because they, it, it can be a temptation to, to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto the things that we have. And this is what David is doing. If he has so many soldiers and horses and chariots and fighting men, then, then next time he needs to fight the Philistines, he doesn't necessarily need to rely on God to show up and do a miracle, right? When, when, you're, you know, when you're slaves leaving Egypt and the Egyptian army is, is, is pounding down and the Red Sea is at your back, you're in a situation where God has to show up and do a miracle. And one of the things about, you know, we, we want to be in a place where, where in our lives where if God doesn't show up and do a miracle, we're going to be in trouble. And so, um, so David, David, again, you know, is, is, this is the sin. Sin is pride. The devil has three plans. We know that, right? You guys write this stuff down. John chapter, was it two, verse like about 15. Um, sex, money, and power. Pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. 
lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Basically what that breaks down to is, is sex, money, and power. The devil's three plays, run right, run left, run up the middle. And every kind of temptation and, and thing comes through those three somewhere. But, but the, ultimately, you know, oftentimes in all of our lives, in, 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 in a lot of ways, a lot of sins, regardless what category they end up in, they're, they're generated in pride. Pride is, is the besetting sin. And, and the reason why we kind of give pride its own category is because the Bible tells us that, that Satan was kicked out of heaven for a particular sin. What was, what was the actual sin that the Bible pinpoints or that God says that Satan was guilty of to, to why he got kicked out of heaven? It was pride. Pride filled, ultimately it was pride. There were some other things going along with it, but God narrows it back to one issue in Satan's heart, and his heart was full of pride, and as a result he was kicked out of heaven. And so here, ultimately, David's sin here is pride. And then it says... Um, so Joab tries to talk him out of it. He knows it's wrong. And nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. So it wasn't just Joab and also against the captains of the army who, who knew what was going on. Therefore, Joab and the, and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped in Aor on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the, of the ravine of Gad and toward Jezer. Then they came to Gilead in the land of Tatim, Hodshai. They came to Dan, Jaan, and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites. Then they went out to the south, to, to south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days, so in almost 10 months it took them to travel from Dan to Beersheba, taking a census and counting the people. So 10 months. And during this 10 months, what do you think was happening in David's life and his heart? Do, do you think that God was, was pulling on David's heart? Do you think that the Holy Spirit was giving David opportunity to repent and turn from his sin? You know, the interesting thing is the Bible says that, 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 that for you and I, and it's something that's real convicting, right? But it's, it's true and we know it. But the Bible says no temptation has overcome you except for the, not, not that I've given you a way of escape. And that in every temptation you face, God says in his word that he's given you a way of escape. He's given you a way out of, of that. So when you fail... You, you can never say, I, 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 just, I just never had a choice or chance to get out of this because we know that God's Holy Spirit is calling you and drawing you. And it says, God says he's always given you a way of escape and you can get out of it and you can find a way out. You know, we use Judas as a classic example because some might say that, that, that Judas had no chance in the world. God needed someone to betray Jesus in the narrative. And so he chose Judas and Judas was just out of luck from the beginning and destined to go to hell and betray Jesus. And that's farthest thing from the truth. That all the way through, God and Jesus, Jesus earnestly, honestly desired to, for Judas to change and, and had opportunity for Judas to, to turn, even up to the Last Supper when Jesus washed his feet. And, and constantly Jesus, especially recorded for us in those last couple of days, um, gave Judas opportunity to, to go a different direction. And you say, well, what if Judas did? What if he went a different direction? Listen, you don't have to worry. I promise you that if, if, if Judas could have and had free will to, to not betray Jesus and had a way of escape, 
the narrative would be the same today. It would just be have been a different twist right there. God would have, you know, there would have been somebody else in another situation and immediately, you know, it would have worked itself out. But it, God wasn't, you know, stuck in a jam that Judas had to be the one and, and, and he gave him opportunities to repent. So I'm sure for 10 months, God is working on David's heart. And, and, and you know, the reality is, I, I don't know, I mean, the real culmination of the sin, it doesn't happen until David hears the number. He can ask for the number, and they can come, and they can say, hey, it's here, right in this sealed envelope. You want to know how many fighting men you have? No, like, like, like keep it away. Like, I don't want to know that, because that information might, might cause me to trust in chariots and horses, and I need to be able to continue to trust the Lord, so keep it away. Not, not to say that there wasn't, you know, but he started, there would have been. So for 10 months, David had opportunity. And then in verse 9, then Joab gave, uh uh-oh, here we go, the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000. So um, you guys know the distinction there between Israel and Judah, right? That Israel and Judah is terms that the Old Testament uses to describe the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes were broken up into two categories, 10 and 2. The 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes. The, the 10 northern tribes are often called Israel in the Bible or the northern tribes. Um, never led in all of their history in the divided kingdom by a good king. In the south or in the area of Judah, the southern two tribes, they had good kings but they had seasons of good kings the kingdom of israel the 12 tribes of israel was um mostly divided through israel's history between the the two factions at times the 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 kingdoms were were united at one point under um king david the the 12 tribes were united under one king um king solomon had at, at a season in a season of his of his reign all 12 tribes under his reign where where the kingdoms of israel were united but here so that just means that so that number, 800,000, 500,000 mathematicians, 1.3 million. Um, in Chronicles, remember last week we, we highlighted, we, we, this chapter 23 of Second Samuel is paralleled in First Chronicles, and we used them kind of both last week to, to go through chapter 23 with the mighty men. Well, this story is also paralleled in Chronicles. And, and they add some, some different numbers, some additional numbers. Remember I told you that was written later, uh, a few more details. But still, even at 1.3 million men, and biblically, and, and we don't really, we can't be dogmatic or we can't use it as a, as a math equation or science, science thing, but we do know that women and children in censuses and in, in countings, like when Jesus fed the 5,000, it actually adds the phrase there, you know what it is, not counting the women and children. So we estimate, if you just count the men in a group of 5,000, how many people is that? If there was a a husband and a wife and three kids, that's that's really 25,000 that Jesus fed. Um, Maybe it was a number, who knows? So you just estimate from there, right? So, But at 1.3 million trained soldiers, and the number that Chronicles adds is, is a different category, and that's the ones that were left out here. These are trained fighting men like enlisted soldiers. So the other ones in Chronicles that adds to this number would be maybe reserves, non-enlisted men, different different kind of non, non-trained guys, new guys or something. But So that number, that total goes up a little bit. But still, one that's, that's a big army. 
I mean, uh, for any any nation, that that'd be a big army. I don't know what the what the I used to when I when I was when I was in Yucca Valley. I kind of had a handle on more things Marine Corps when I was there, but I knew what the number of Marines that we kept in the United States was for a time, and I know Obama cut that number by like 30,000, and I think it's going back up, but I don't remember what it is today, but still, it's nowhere near a million. Nowhere near, it's nowhere near 1.3 or 1.5 or 1.8, and when you, when you count all of our enlisted soldiers, again, in a nation, a big nation of 335 million, that, that's a big army. That's a big army. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. And David said, Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So, um, you know, David never said this in the sin of Bathsheba. It was funny. You know, I mean, he repented. He, he, he genuinely, earnestly, heartfelt, was broken, contrite before the Lord, and God granted him full forgiveness um, in his sin with Bathsheba. He still had consequences of a sin with Bathsheba. And here in the same thing. But David here again is broken before the Lord. And, and he, he says, against God have I sinned. And, and, and then it says, um, now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourselves that I may do it. Remember I told you in Deuteronomy, God said that if a nation sinned against him, these were the three things that would happen to them. These are the three exact things in Deuteronomy in the same exact category of things that God promised would happen to a nation. Another reason why, you know, scripturally here, narrative is that, is that yes, David was responsible for this sin that God is judging the nation for. But I also believe there was something nationally going on in Israel um, that, that God is also dealing with in this story. Um, so Gad came to David and told him, now remember the last, who came to David when he sinned with Bathsheba? Trivia 101, my wife's not here to bail you guys out. Nathan, there's a prophet Nathan, remember? Nathan came and he's the one that said, you the man now, dog. That was, that was Nathan. Before Nathan, the, the seer or the prophet in Israel was a guy by the name of, look up in your Bible, it's a big clue, right? At the top of your heading in your Bible. Samuel, there's a guy named Samuel. And so um, now it's uh, Samuel's gone, Nathan's gone, and Gad is the prophet, the seer, the spiritual leader in Israel at the time. Um, and Gad said and told him, he said to him three things. Shall seven years of famine come to you in the land, or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or, number three, shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to the, to the Lord who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for, the, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So David's choice was, put me under the mercy of God. I'm not going to flee from my enemy and those other choices, because then I'm under the mercies of man, and I'd rather be under the hand of God and God's judgment. And so basically in that answer, he chose number um, three, or the famine one, whatever number that was. Um, I'm not sorry. Not the family one, I'm sorry. The pestilence for three days. And it says immediately, right? So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time from Dan to Beersheba, and 70,000 men of the people died. And when, when the angel stretched out his hand over, over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented. Again, there's, a, there's kind of an anthropomorphic term. We've talked about that before. When God relents or repents, 
Um, God can't change his mind. God can't repent. So we've unpacked that, that biblical word, word relent before. We're not doing it tonight. From the destruction, he said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Ar- Arana, the Jebusite. And then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And, and so, you know, I think the thing I pick up in verse 17 is that, is that it says David saw the angel of the Lord that was striking the people. And so God, for whatever reason, allows David to see into the supernatural or, or the supernatural took on flesh in this case. And um, which oftentimes when we see angels in the Bible, they have the appearance of men. But, but he saw it. And then David said, let my sin be upon, upon me. You know, one of the things, you guys, about God's blessing or, or God's curse in your life, two, two major things that I want to point out, one on the negative, one on the positive, and we're about done. Um, your sins don't only affect you. If you're a father, if you have children, if you have loved ones, especially it multiplies. Every person in your life that depends on you, every person in your life that, um, you know, that loves you and that you love, that, that, that responsibility multiplies. And the sins that we commit, you know, it would be one thing if they would only affect us, but they don't. They affect everybody around us. And here in David's case, that his sins affected the whole nation. You know, for, you know, and, and, and again, as far as responsibility that we have, that multiplies. You know, we, we have cases in our church where um, some members of the church have got involved in, in, in extramarital affairs and adultery and um, we, 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 you know, we walk with that, we counsel through that, we deal with that. That's one thing. But when the pastor does it, and that happens too often, unfortunately, in our pulpits in America, is the, the pastor is involved in adultery, and I, it has a much bigger consequence to, to the church. It really affects people's faith. faith. And, you know, I've preached a message before that if our eyes on Jesus, it shouldn't affect us like that. But ultimately, we trust Jesus, and we know men are going to fail us. But the, the, the truth is, the reality is, is that, your, your sins don't affect just you. And if you're a father, you know that. You, you, you've experienced that, that, that your sins affect people, your children, your wife, your people around you. And, and so, you know, it's, it's just part of the responsibility of, of life is that our sins affect other people. Um, for generations, God will have to break them generational curses, though. He promises that he will if we'll repent. He will always, always, God says there's a new day. There's hope in Jesus. There's a new tomorrow. Um, that, that was on the negative. I said there was a positive. Now I'm drawing a blank. Um, it was important too. But I think God's telling me it's, it's getting late. Um, so, and David spoke, verse 17. I'm going to read it again, see if it comes back. And David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people. And he said, surely I have sinned and done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? And let your hand, oh yeah, that was the second one. So in blessing, God, um, God, Listen, God blesses you in spite of you. Okay, that's super important. Because, because oftentimes we, we, if, if we don't understand that, and it's hard, you're going to kind of, for me personally anyways, especially as a pastor, somebody who's, you know, I want to I preach well, I want to I teach well, I want to see people's lives change, I want God to use the messages, I want God to, to, to do things fruitful in the ministry that, that are more powerful and bigger than me. And, you know, what I, what I can get caught up in is, is that, man, if, 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 I, if, I, if I spend, you know, I used to say, I used to believe that if I was going to teach a message that was going to last 45, 50 minutes, that in preparation for that message, I would have to pray in the spirit for 45 or 50 minutes. 
to cover the message. And if I did that, the message would be better, it would go well. And if I didn't, then it would struggle. Or if I, you know, if I, if I studied for um, eight hours for the message, then God would bless eight hours worth of, of message prep. But if I studied 16 hours or 10 hours or 12 hours, then God would bless that. And it was kind of like, like I, I get into this routine. If I get up in the morning and I, and I pray and I, and I pray every day and I, I seek the Lord and I'm, I'm don't sin that much, you know, because I don't say I don't sin, but I don't sin that much this week. And, you know, then, um, then, then the message would be good. But, but what happens is that, that, that mentality says that God, um, then I have to earn God's blessing and God's, God's blessing. And not to say that God doesn't ask or require some of those things that I quoted, but that's not why God blesses me. And I have to get that through my mind. And some of the, some of the best opportunities I've had in the pulpit have been after a week of real struggle. And, and, and when God really showed up, it was when I, you know, had had the worst week, the least amount of prayer time, the least amount of struggle. I stopped trying to cover every message with 45, 50 minutes of praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, because, again, I felt like that that's predicated upon me earning God's blessing. It just doesn't work that way. You know, you know, and I tell you guys this all the time, but the last thing I'm doing right when I'm standing right there before I come up is I'm begging God, first of all, to come with me. And, and I don't want to go up by myself. And anything that I say, I want, you know, I want the Lord to use it. And it, and it is prophetic and it is um, by the will of God and for the will of God to change people's lives. But I'm also praying for you guys and I'm saying, Lord, I, I, I don't, I don't, not, not, don't, not because of me, in spite of me and not necessarily for me, but because you love these people, because God loves you, because that God loves every one of you, that, that God would have a message that would touch somebody, that God would have a message that would teach or, or, or meet somebody where they are. And, and I, and I got to get away from the idea of that God's going to bless me because I earned it or because I did, I crossed my X's and dotted my I's this week and now I get to get up and, and God's going to bless me or God's going to bless your life because of your obedience. Amen? God blesses you in spite of you. Not to say we don't do those things, but, but get out of the way and just know, and for David too, so. All right, we're done, you guys, but I'll just tell you, I'll just wrap up real quick. Um. The last, uh, the last part is really good. Read verses 18 through 25 because we are definitely officially done. I said no matter how high the creek rises, we're done with Second Samuel. But that last part is Ornan's threshing floor. There's a great, great verse and biblical truth in there. David goes to buy a field. The guy says, I'll give it to you. You're the king. And David says, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. So in that, read that, you guys, before you when you get home tonight or sometime. Okay? And, and the concept is that um, that threshing floor, that Ornan's threshing floor that David bought, it's in Jerusalem. David wanted to offer it to the Lord as kind of a, an offering for, for his sin. Um, and, he went, and the guy was going to give it to him for free, but David said, I, I can't take it for free because I'm going to give it to the Lord. So he paid full price for it, gave it to the Lord. It is the very place in GPS on planet Earth, Ornan's threshing floor, that David buys here in chapter 24. That is the, it is the area that Jesus dies on the cross in the, in the future. That's the area of, of land that David's buying in this field. It's the, it's the top part of um, Mount Moriah, um, about four 600 yards from where the Temple of Solomon would sit, is where Ornan's threshing floor is. And, and that's where Jesus would die on a cross and then not far from there um, be placed into a grave. Uh, for three days before he rose again. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we come before you. And Jesus, I, I just, I thank you, Father, so much for your love. Lord, I thank you that you're promised from your word that if we seek you with our whole heart that we'll find you, God.
And Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, whatever we're going through in our lives, Jesus, that we would seek you. I thank you, Father, that you're good at speaking to us. And Lord, it, 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 help us clean out our ears, clean out our lives from any, any clouds, anything that's keeping us from hearing your voice. God, help us be a people that puts ourselves intentionally in the way and, and in a place of listening and hearing and spending time with you. God, in worshiping you and, and, and in loving you and in praying and reading the word and then listening and asking and begging and desiring with our hearts, God, to hear your voice for ourselves. Lord, to, to get in a place where as we hear your voice, it becomes clearer and clearer. And, and, and we're not led in confusion, but in, in, um, in truth. Lord, I pray this same prayer for us as a church collectively in, the, in, in financial decisions that we're trying to make right now and in this property decision, this property deal, whether, whether it's something that you're in or not, Lord, don't. I pray, Father, that we would hear your voice, hear your will. God, we want to be by one thing on our scales. We don't have any good and bad, any pros and cons on our scale, Lord. We only put one thing on, the, on our scale, and that is what is the will of God. And so, Lord, we ask to know what is the will of God for our church. Lord, we pray that you would lead us supernaturally. God, we pray, Father, that you would protect um, us from the lies and the attacks of the enemy. And, Father, help us to recognize when we're being tempted to do evil. And, Lord, and if you've given us a way of escape, that we would take that way out. Pray, Father, that you guard our hearts from pride and from the sin of pride, which is, which is a killer. And it's a Bible killer. It's an it's a angel killer. And, and, Lord, it's it's a big deal. And so, God, help us and guard us. And, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you guys. Have a great week.